Hey, welcome to the Woodbury Church of Christ Sermon Audio. If you want to know more about our church family, you can check us out online at woodburychurch.org or go to our YouTube page at Woodbury Church of Christ. We're excited that you're here and we hope you enjoy the sermon today. Wow, I didn't know if anybody would show up, so I'm really glad to see you guys. Honestly, and I'm, I'm not just saying this, sometimes, you know, preachers will get up and just say things, you know how they are, but I'm, I'm just, I'm telling you, I would not want to be anywhere else Christmas morning than with you right here. I'm serious. We're going to start with Matthew chapter 1, verse 16. Matthew chapter 1, verse 16. Mary was the mother of Jesus who is called the Messiah. A pretty typical Christmas verse, right? But if you've been with us in this series so far, we've been taking those typical Christmas verses and exploring the reality behind them. What they mean to us is very unlikely what they would have meant to the people in the first century. And so when we read a verse like this, we're like, oh yeah, Jesus is a Messiah, Christmas bells, let's sing Christmas songs, Christmas carols. That's not what they would have thought when they read this verse in the first century. So if we're doing a little word association, uh, family feud style with Jesus, if we had the word Jesus up there and we were all shouting out things, we would shout out words like forgiveness and son of God and savior and grace. But I guarantee you that a first century person wouldn't, they would say those things, but that would not be their number one answer about who Jesus was. And so we're going to try to recapture that. We're just going to spend a few minutes trying to regain the truth of who Jesus really is and what people would have thought when they read verses like Jesus is the Messiah. I need a little help because we're going to play a game called Finish the Christmas Carol Lyric. I'm going to randomly pick a person, Ezra Mayer. Oh, that would be very random. We didn't talk about this beforehand or anything. <laughs> Ezra's going to help me out here. Ezra has volunteered to play a little game uh, with me, Ezra. So here's how this is going to work. We're going to start off easy, okay? And then we're going to get increasingly harder. So I'm going to read you a Christmas lyric. It'll be on the screen here behind you if you want to look. And you have to fill in the blank, all right, with the word that goes there. So our first song, our first Christmas song is Joy to the World. Oh, that's not it. That's off. That's got the answer. There we go. Don't just ignore that you saw that. Okay. All right. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her. Is it Lord, King, Baby, or President? Oh, okay, King. Now, how did you know that? Oh, well, here, maybe we need to turn you around. There we go. Very good. Oh, it's up there, too. All right. Okay, you ready? All right, here we go. Uh, this, this next song is called uh, Little Drummer Boy, and it's got this line, and it says, Our finest gifts we bring. And you know that next part? Pa-rum-pa-pum. To lay before the, is it king, child, toddler, or tyke? Which one is it? You gotta think. Our finest gifts, it's gotta rhyme with one of the words in there. King. King! Very good, very good, very good. Okay, all right, here we go. Last one, I think. Last one. This song is um, O Come All Ye Faithful, Joyful and Triumphant. O Come Ye, O Come Ye to Bethlehem. O Come and Behold Him, Born the Boss. CEO, manager, or king of angels? King. King! Whoa! How did you know? You were a little worried these were going to be hard. Yeah, so what is... All those answers had one thing in common, right? Yeah, which is... King. King. Now, Ezra, I think it's very possible 
that you might be president of the whole, probably the whole world someday, actually. It could happen. You, you think so too? Yeah. There's a good chance. If you were king or queen or president of the whole world, what's something that you would do? What would be like one of your first rules? If the homeless weren't having any money, you would have to donate some, at least 30 bucks. At least 30 bucks you have to donate. That's a great idea. All right. Ezra for President uh, 2054. Thank you very much, Ezra. I appreciate your helping out. We got a little gift for you. We'll give you later. So good. So good. King, king, king. If you've done any Christmas shopping in the last couple days, every retailer you go to is playing Christmas music. And in between Mariah Carey and Wham, you know, last Christmas I gave you my heart, all that, they're playing Christmas carols. And Target and Best Buy and Walmart, every once in a while as people are picking out their last minute gifts, they're proclaiming in these stores that Jesus is king. I just love the idea of someone walking through the aisles of a Target, pushing a cart, humming along to the lyrics that proclaim that Jesus is king. Maybe it's just a little crack in the door, you know, a little, a little way to work into their heart. I think that's a wonderful idea. So here's the truth. If you talk to a first century person, I think the word king would have been the number one association that people had with Jesus. Let me confess, I don't get upset or angry or mad a ton, but when I do, it's almost always for the same reason. When I get angry, when I get frustrated, it's almost always for the same reason. Almost always, it's because I have worked to arrange things just so, and something came along and disrupted those plans. Something interrupted those plans. I had built myself some free time, or I had created a moment to, to study and work on a sermon, and something, or sometimes someone, interrupted those plans. And I think this is true for a lot of people. Most people that you know are most out of control when they want to be in control, and they cannot have control. That's most humanity. You've seen viral videos of someone whose flight got canceled and they just melted down. How do we handle that tension of not being able to arrange our lives precisely how we want them? Well, one solution is I'm going to introduce you to a guy named King Kevin right here. He is uh, King of Malasia. Now, if some of you are like, man, I just did 10th grade uh, geography and I don't remember the kingdom of Malasia, it's because it's a sovereign kingdom that he created in the desert of Nevada. It's outside of Reno. He's got about 11 acres and he's declared his own kingdom. You can go visit, but you have to bring your passport. Now, you're probably thinking, is this just a clever way? Does he not pay taxes to the state of Nevada or the federal government? He does not pay taxes to the state of Nevada or the federal government. And some of you are like, oh, I guess sounds like a good idea. The kingdom of uh, Edwards here. I got enough people, a big population. We could do it. How does he do that? But he does pay the same amount that he would in taxes to the state and the federal government. He just calls it foreign aid. So he spends a lot on, on foreign aid. So you could build your own kingdom. You could declare your house to be your sovereign nation. And isn't that kind of what we do? We don't go this far, but isn't that what we do? Don't we just kind of arrange our lives so we're fully in control, so that we're not vulnerable, that, that nobody else can have a say? Don't we kind of arrange our lives that way? We, we kind of declare our own kingdom. That's, that's one solution. I want to cruise through 6,000 years 
of biblical history in less than six minutes, okay? You got your timers? God creates a perfect place, a perfect environment. Humans mess it up. But he tells those humans, hey, good news, someone is coming. Someone is coming. And then fast forward several hundred years, he gets to Abraham and he tells that he makes this promise to Abraham, this covenant with Abraham. And he tells Abraham, not only is someone coming, but a descendant of yours, someone from your family is coming. And he narrows it down a little bit. And then fast forward several hundred years and you get to David and he makes a covenant with David and he says, I'm going to make your kingdom last forever. And it's going to be one of your children and they're going to be king. And they begin to use the word Messiah or Mashiach. That's how you say it in Hebrew. They use this word to describe this someone that was coming. So just imagine this. You're an average Hebrew person and you're watching king after king show up on the scene. If you read 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, the graph of the, the character of the king's just keeps descending and getting worse and worse until they just implode. That's Bible history in about two seconds. But they were looking for this Messiah. Over and over again, they wondered, is this Messiah going to come? They were waiting and waiting and waiting. At Christmas, when my cousins were coming into town, I would get really excited. I would start off by the front window, looking out, waiting for them to come, just waiting for their car to drive down the road. And then I couldn't take that anymore, and I would stand outside. This was Oregon, so you could go outside in the winter. I would stand outside, and I would be looking down the street, waiting for their car to come, waiting for their car to come. And then I couldn't take that anymore, so I'd go down to the end of the block, and I would look down the turn and look down the road, waiting for their car to come, waiting for their car to come. If they hadn't shown up, I'd probably have ended up at their door 400 miles away, just waiting, this, this active waiting, this active anticipation. And you imagine the whole Hebrew nation just waiting, 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 waiting for a Messiah. Is this guy the one? Amaziah comes, he's not the one. Athaliah comes, he's not the one. Ahaz comes, he's not the one. And then finally Zedekiah and the kingdom ends. And none of these, what's going on, God? <coughs> waiting and it all comes to nothing. Then you get to Matthew. And I want you to see this. This is really subtle. You have to be a biblical scholar to try to understand what Matthew is communicating here. You ready? You just have to really pay close attention to what Matthew is trying to tell us about what's happening in his gospel. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. Matthew 1.16, Mary was the mother of Jesus who was called the The very next verse, 14 generations from the exile to the Matthew 1.18, this is how the birth of Jesus, the he doesn't get tired of saying the Messiah, the Messiah. Do you guys know what Messiah means? He means, it means the coming king, the anointed one, the one who will be king. Matthew is trying to tell us that, hey, guess what, guys? That king that you've been waiting for, that you thought was never going to show up, he's here. He's here. This is good news. Now, the problem was the Magi came. They were going to pay their respects to the king. So they thought, oh, there's a new king in Israel. So how do we find that new king in Israel? We got to go to the old king and say, excuse me, old king, where's the new king? Well, how did that make the old king feel who was surprised about the news of the new king? It was a threat to his control. It was a threat to his power. And do you remember what he did? It's such a tragedy. It's part of the Christmas story that we rarely highlight. He had everybody he suspected might be in the same age range as this new king killed. What? Because it was a threat to his kingdom. 
Now, Jesus, during his life, he kept dropping hints that he was the Messiah. But he would, he would tell people, keep it on the down low. Don't tell people that I'm the Messiah. Why? Because when you tell people that I'm the Messiah, people keep getting hurt. So let's keep it on the down low until the time is right. It's not time yet. But finally, this is Luke 23, verse 2, and they begin to accuse Jesus. And they begin to say, we have found this man subverting our nation, our kingdom. He's a threat to our kingdom. He opposes payment of taxes. Can you believe it? They got Jesus on taxes, just like Al Capone, right? Which wasn't true, by the way. To Caesar, and he claims to be Messiah. We got to kill this guy. Why do we got to kill this guy? Because he's a threat. He's a threat. Look at what Matthew says at the end of his gospel, Matthew 26, verse 67. Then they spit on his face and they struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, Messiah. How about Matthew 27, 29? And then they twisted together a crown of thorns and they set it on his head. And they put a staff in his right hand and they knelt in front of him. And they mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. Matthew 27, 37. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Matthew 27, 42. He saved others, they said but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from that cross and then we'll believe him. Why, why would they do that? Because he posed a threat to their kingdom, to their control. That's why they killed him. They didn't kill him for being a good guy that was teaching nice things. They killed him for posing a threat to their little kingdom that they had carefully built up. But what they didn't know is they were playing right into the plan of God that he was coronated as a king, just not how anybody would expect. They did everything that they could do to stop him. But you got to know about this next part, because if you don't know about this next part, the death doesn't make very much sense. And I'm telling you, it's going to seem like a little bit of left turn, but I want us to feel something. I want to capture a moment. I want us to understand what this next part would have been like. Just, just a little bit, if we can, just a little bit. Death, the biggest gun in their arsenal, it was all they had. There's a scene in every action movie where the hero casually walks away from an explosion. You know what I'm talking about? Every good action movie has it, where the hero just casually strolls away from this. Doesn't even phase him. This, this crazy thing is happening behind him. He just strolls away like he's seen a million explosions, maybe dusts a little bit of dirt off his shoulder, doesn't even mess up his hair. The, the, doesn't even ruffle his look. He doesn't even break stride. Now, of course, if you were this close to an explosion, the blast wave would knock you off your feet. And then because all the oxygen had been sucked away from the moment, then you would be dragged back to it. You would be thrown around like a rag doll if you weren't killed from the shrapnel that was exploding around you. There's no way you casually walk away from something like this. You cannot do it. But here's the deal. Humanity took their best shot at Jesus. They landed their best blow. They got out their biggest gun. They blew off the biggest explosion they could to try to take out Jesus as a threat to their control. And here's the crazy thing about the resurrection, that Jesus calmly got up off the grave, folded the funeral clothes, laid them down, and he walked out of the tomb. They could not touch him with the very worst thing that they had to offer. He walked away from that tomb and he probably brushed a little death 
off his shoulder as he walked back into life. This king conquered death. And that was the enemy all along. They thought it was Rome. And Jesus was like, no, I'm not here for Rome. I'm here for an enemy much, much bigger, much, much greater. And then look at what his followers did following this. Acts chapter 2, verse 36. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Acts 5, 42. They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Do you see this is woven through every layer of the story in Scripture? Acts 17.3, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Messiah. That's what Paul taught. So if all that is true, then it leaves us with a question. And this is the question of Christmas. Who is your king? Who is your king? Uh, here's the deal. Some of you are like, Patrick, are you joking? We're in church on Christmas Day. Our neighbors thought we were crazy. Our family members thought we were insane. We came to church on Christmas Day. What are you asking us? Who is our king? Of course, he's our king. Of course, Jesus is our king. We've been singing about it. We've been learning about it. Of course, he's our king. Is he? Really? Do your choices reflect that someone else is in control of your life? Do your thoughts reflect that you serve another sovereign? Or are you in control? Are you calling the shots? Who really truly is your king? Because Herod and the religious leaders, they, they got something right. Jesus is a threat to your control. He's a threat to the control you have over your life. He is, and he should be. If you know who Jesus is, then you acknowledge him as a threat to the control that you have over your life. This is kind of a hard message for Christmas morning. Can't we just talk about baby Jesus? Baby Jesus grew up to be King Jesus. And King Jesus is calling you to give your life over to him. That's what it's all about. This is what it looks like to have Jesus as king. Jesus as king means shaping the entirety of our lives around his authority, especially when our desires run counter to his. So who is your king? Before you answer, real quick, I, wanna, I don't want you to bet on the wrong team, you know? <laughs> Some of you are like, oh yeah, I think Jesus is my king, kind of, sort of, kind of. But I'm telling you, you got to read the whole story because this truth is woven throughout scriptures from beginning to end. And I want to show you a scripture from the end of the story. Revelation chapter 17, verse 4. They will wage. Who's they? Everybody who challenges the authority of the king. They will wage war against the lamb. The lamb, what are you talking about? The sacrificial lamb, the one Jesus was. They will wage war against the lamb, but the lamb will triumph over them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers, the ones who declared he was king and the ones who lived as if he was king. That's what it's all about. This is Christmas. Hey, open the stockings, sing the songs, do all the stuff. But this is what Christmas is about. Christmas is a declaration of believers saying that Jesus is my king. And he is here. And I'm going to live my life in a way that shows the world that he is the one in control. That is what Christmas is all about. Amen. So what we're going to do as we wrap up this morning is we're going to commemorate this moment. 
You hopefully grabbed a candle on your way in. But it's just a beautiful, the candles are a beautiful representation of this whole thing. Because he comes into this world as this baby and people are like, what is this? What's going on? This doesn't make any sense. But there's this little spark of light. There's a little moment of light. But then the light spreads. It spreads from one person to another, to another, to another, until the world is full of light. And that's what we're doing. We're recreating. This is a visual of how Jesus' truth, Jesus' reality, King Jesus spreads throughout the world. Let's sing about our King. So- 